Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks for stopping by and checking this out today. Got another fantastic guest and kind of a cool, like, two-parter episode, but kind of put into one part. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a second here. But first, I wanted to remind you that the Print Design Summit is coming up just around the corner, February 17th to 20th. Um, it sounds like it's far away, but it absolutely is not, and I'm feeling the pressure to put on something cool. But this is a free online event where we are going to teach graphic designers the skills that they need to create award-winning print and packaging easier, faster, and with more confidence. Not just me, not just Gabby, but we are bringing in some speakers, some experts, some designers out there who have already been putting great print out in the world, and all of us are coming together to teach you how to do these things better, how to create award-winning print and packaging. We're super excited about it. It is a free online event, so if you want to get front-of-the-line access, be the first one to know when it's open and ready for tickets, head to printdesignsummit.com and uh, put a little email in there and uh, you'll be the first to know. Now, also something really unique about this, every single Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I am going Instagram live with Print Design Academy, like the Print Design Academy Instagram, and I am basically documenting the building of this summit. What did we do in the last week? What speakers are on board now? What sponsors are on board? Ideas, events, groups, like all of these things. I'm telling you what we did this last week and you have the opportunity to give feedback, to ask questions, to you know make suggestions, all that kind of stuff um, during those Instagram lives. So I'm pretty excited about it. You're gonna, you know, if you tune into those lives, you're gonna hear the the wins, the fails, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of the stuff in an effort to grow and put on this event for you guys in February. So go to printdesignsummit.com and sign up for the front of the line access right there. Now, today's guest and what I was alluding to before, today's guest is Gene Portnoy. He is the creative design director behind Work and Company. And when we connected for the first part of this interview, the printer was literally texting him photos from the print shop and the, the project was on press that day. So that was pretty cool. So we talked about the buildup, the story behind the project, Oh, yeah, I didn't even tell you what the project is. I'll get there. Don't worry. And then uh, five to six weeks later, we were able to connect again once he had the finished product in his hand. The customer had some. It was out in the retail market already. And we got some feedback from him on the design side. We got some feedback from his client and what they're experiencing with this. And the project we're talking about today is the packaging for full bloom cannabis. A little bit of cannabis packaging, which I love because you can get creative and fun and do some great things. And that's enough of me talking. Let's get into the story behind this awesome print and packaging. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mr. Gene Portnoy. Hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. 
Gene, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I love how this this online design world works where you can be scrolling through Instagram or LinkedIn or something and you see some awesome work that somebody put together and posted and you just kind of do like a little bit of backtracking, a little bit of homework and you can find the creative behind bringing that print or that packaging or something to life. And that's how we connected on LinkedIn, like what, five days ago, not even? Yeah, I mean, I literally just posted the project uh, a week ago or two weeks ago and you got in touch with me a couple of days later and yeah. here we are. Exactly. I just did a little online stalking, found you and, and reached out. Hopefully not too creepy. Well, I, no, I appreciate it. That's why I do it. Um, literally, it's the only way to find new business these days and share work openly yeah. and get people's feedback. And uh, I've been really enjoying the process. Yeah, it's a content game, it. isn't it? Uh, content is king. That's where it is. So, Gene, I want to start this off and kick it over to you and just have you introduce yourself. Tell us what you got cooking and how you got to where you are. Okay, so um, I'm Gene Portnoy, uh, founder of Working Company. I'm a creative design director, and I specialize primarily in brand, branding and packaging specifically, mm-hmm. uh, although I'm comfortable in doing other work as well. Uh, I started working company when COVID first started as uh, just developing a portfolio for myself because I've never had an online portfolio. And it's kind of merged into something else. And I wouldn't call it a design studio, but more of a team effort these days. Uh, So my portfolio in the play section, uh, I come up with my own personal projects and that's now being turned into uh, clients contacting working company directly, and I put together teams to work on those projects. That's awesome. So this kicked off like when COVID kicked off. Yeah, because uh, you know, first two months of watching TV and this land, you know, just kind of got boring, yes. and uh, I felt like I needed to start designing something uh, because I'm primarily been a freelance designer for the past five years. Um, well, most of my career has been freelance, but. For the past five years, I've primarily been full-time freelance with various studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, when COVID hit, freelancers got hit the hardest first. For sure. And I just took the opportunity of uh, developing some new projects, getting myself out of uh, my comfort zone, doing things that I normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people have been really you know open to me posting stuff and being really good about getting in touch and asking about why I do things, how I do it, and you know, now I'm generating client work, which has been great. Yeah, that's so cool how you basically took that on when COVID hit. You're like, I'm, t- I'm tired of sitting around uh, watching TV. You know, I've been through Friends reruns for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> watched all the seasons three times. And um, so when you decided to make that move, you really just started creating sort of your own fake brands and putting your own stuff out there? Yeah, well, you know, for the past 20 plus years that I've been a designer, I've worked primarily with, you know, large branding firms like Sterling Group and the grip uh, with uh, CBX and Pearl Fisher. And those are massive projects that I openly can't really show work Mm -hmm. for because as a freelancer, so I decided to just kind of just work on my own personal projects to stay busy. And I ramped up the schedule so it doesn't take two or three weeks to develop the initial concepts. 
I bang them out relatively quick, like one or two days, as if I was just concept developing and just practicing with doing renders and just kind of just upping my game as far as what a design what a designer is. So just working on my skill sets. And uh, it's Love been turning out really great. Yeah, challenging yourself and pushing yourself into new areas that you um, you know, haven't ventured before just due to the nature of being freelance and what work comes your way. So you kind of kick open the doors of creativity a little bit and you don't have any limits. You can do whatever you want. Well, yeah, it's funny that you say that. Um, I, I initially thought, well, this is now limitless. And limitless is very difficult to do, I think. Yes. Uh, because, especially as a designer, because if you've ever worked with other designers, knowing how to stop is a skill in, its, in itself. <laughs> so uh, I generally would just think about the brands that I want to create, start writing, doing lists. And once I have an initial concept, a story that I want to tell, I just do a one-off. Mm-hmm. And I just bang those out, uh, you know, within a day or so. Sometimes I just do it in the, early in the morning, and they take me like two or three hours to do. Um, and I share them as they are within the certain hours that I, that I set for myself. Yep. So that a lot of times when I post things, things are still in works, works in progress, or they have elements that are still wrong that I know that they're wrong, but I'm waiting to see if people react to it and how they react to it. Uh, I'm just trying to get people's reactions and feedback. That's fun. There was a thing that we did that, that this, you saying that reminds me of this thing that we did for our craft beer label design course. Um, we had a few of our students and then I also spoke to a local university design class and we did the same thing, but it was called a 10 minute label design challenge. So basically, we had a logo, we had some text already available, supplied, and one image and like the name of the beer, just a theme. And the creative had 10 minutes. I think there was five minutes to sort of sketch concept and then 10 minutes timed to actually put the thing on screen. Yeah. And at 10 minutes, hard stop, wherever you are, take a screenshot, post it to this board. And it was just this big online collage of these 10-minute label designs. And it was fascinating the direction that different creatives took this and how far some were able to get in just 10 minutes. Yeah, and it's really interesting what happens when you're limited on time. Mm -hmm. Um, In reality, it's almost like as close to a real project as possible when you're limiting yourself on those kind of -hmm. schedules. Because a lot of times, I think, from my experience, what, what happens is those, things, those projects that you can bang out as quickly, just those rough ideas that you have in your head, mm-hmm. and use the craft and the knowledge of the programs, because they're just programs, yep. uh, to visualize those elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the best designs that I think, you know, that come out from, from creatives. I mean, those are your, those moments of clarity. And if you can bang those out relatively quickly, and it doesn't mean that when you're working on a real project that that's how you should be working because mm-hmm. um, there's other thinking that needs to be done. But it's just been a really interesting learning experience for me. And it's gotten it's got me to kind of get back in touch with my younger self, uh, almost like you were saying, as a stu- you know, from a student's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's almost so like I've having... Been kind of, you know, a hard deadline like that, like, for example, using that 10-minute theme, if you gave yourself an hour to do six different 10-minute com- concepts, 
like from just blank screen to concept in 10 minutes. I think it just forces you to be very decisive. Once you have an idea, go execute yeah. that. It may be a dud. It may not go anywhere. It may stop there, but there might be something there. And though yeah, when you've got all these ones to look at, you, you can make some decisions. Yeah, and I think it's, I've, I've been trying to talk to younger designers to possibly do that. And a lot of people just say, oh, I just do work for free and for fun. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, uh, you know what? Artists paint, photographers shoot photos, writers write under free time. I'm a designer and I want to design in my free time as well. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes me happy. It gives me the endorphins that I'm looking for. And I totally get high when I'm in that zone. And, um, you know, practice makes perfect, right? I, you know, so I'm still learning and I'm trying to get to a place where I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable from where I am as a creative. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to get to a place where I can get to those nuggets faster, get to those branding truths quicker. Yeah. Um, not for speed's sake, but for just, just it's, it's, you know, working at that, working out that muscle primarily. I was right. just about to say it's a muscle. It's a workout. Yeah. I love it. So I want to dive in a little bit about print now, Gene, and to sort of hear a little bit about your interactions with print. So let's kick this back in time first. What is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Something from your childhood, something from your teens? Uh, you know, I recently, when, when you sent me, uh, your, your questions, the kind of questions you asked, that was something that popped up and I had started looking into my, my closet of collectibles that I used to have. And I pulled out my old comics and definitely comic books and the ads that they had in the, in the comic books back then. Uh, just, I, I could just remembering how that affected me when I was a kid cracking open that new comic mm-hmm. uh, is similar how I kind of look at branding these days. And when a new brand comes out, I want to go to the design firm's website, look at their studios right up and their synapses and just, you know, slowly roll through those images um, and what their thinking was and hopefully find an interview with them kind of like what you're doing with me you know, and just learn from that, see yeah. what their thinking was. And, you know, how can, how can I learn from that experience as well? And album covers, for sure. You know, like, holy cow, we don't have album covers anymore. <laughs> but album covers used to be so beautifully designed and intricate in the photography and typography. And you would, you know, it was almost as if, you know, as a one-offs, you know, because they would be limited runs unless it was, you know, you know, a, a gold record or, you know, something like that. And just, mm-hmm. just thinking about that we don't have those these days. Yeah. And whatever happened to album covers. Yeah. Where did, where did the album covers go? They're um, just squares. Now, that's it. Yeah. I think that there is definitely value for music artists to actually put out physical stuff, not just from a merch standpoint, but, um, I was actually, I took this picture and I posted it somewhere. I don't remember where I posted it, but I was walking past this old record store and they had a giant poster in the window about the brand new Harry Styles album. And like, it wasn't like visually stunning or anything like that. But what stopped me was like, I don't remember seeing in recent days, like a poster put out by a new artist to promote 
their like their record and their album in a store. Like that was yeah. just uh, that was like okay, cool. More artists should be doing stuff like this. Putting these posters out, printing great albums, putting vinyls together so that they can get vinyl sleeves, physical things out in the world. Just another level of engagement from fans. And even like uh, magazine covers. I mean, a lot of really, really famous designers came from the world of developing, you know, album covers and magazine covers. We're talking about like Neville Brody was, you know, a prolific album cover designer. In, you know, in his early days, and probably still doing work for musical for from for musicians, uh, David Carson. I mean, his whole history came from doing, you know, covers from from magazines and posters, and just being so different than you know, shocking the system of what an album, uh, what a magazine cover should look like. Mm-hmm. You know, does it have to be legible? Does it, you know, does it always have to be beautiful? Can it just be a feeling or a color or a photograph or just type elements that you cut up. Um, so there's a lot of learning to be had from um, how creatives, you know, got to where they are today yeah. that I think a lot of designers are missing that, and, you know, they don't get that in school. Because even school is on is online. It's kind of crazy. Like, yeah. I'm kind of in, I'm just really interested in, like, what's design going to look like in the next five to ten years? When students start graduating, and you know who've who've learned their, all of their design techniques from learning on on a screen, as yeah. opposed to being in a group and putting stuff up on a wall and talking about it. Yeah, and that's uh, it. Almost ties into sort of the mission that we have with Print Design Academy, where we're teaching graphic designers how to create print. Um, is that in school, even if you're in there for a full four-year graphic design like degree, not a diploma, but the full degree, um, you maybe in four years got one semester of print production in yeah. like year two. So two and a half years later, after only having one semester of print production training, are you going to graduate and feel confident to go out there to be able to tackle print design? No. Uh, it's almost impossible, but, you know, that's where the learning experience comes from. So, you know, you come in as a junior designer or, uh, you know, an intern and you just watch and learn and just keep asking as many questions as possible. And there are no stupid mm-hmm. questions and don't be afraid to ask them. And that's really the role of a creative for the whole entire life is just keep asking questions because you're not going to get to an answer without asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And my background literally came from my my cousin used to be working in print production industry and, um, you know, he worked for a book publisher and they were still doing pay stuff. And I would just like watch him do it. And my dad got a, had a computer at home and I, you know, he had Corel draw and didn't even have Photoshop and illustrator back then. I started messing around with it when I got to college, started designing t-shirts and promotional passes for nightclubs in New York. And then realized this is a business. People were paying me to design business cards for them. I mean, it was like seventy-five hours to design somebody's <laughs> business card and logo back then. But I learned how to go to a printer and show, you know sep- make separations. So by the time I went to design school, yeah. I already kind of knew the back end of it. I was just trying to learn the craft, um, and I, I, especially because I don't really draw. Uh, so it was an interesting way of getting into the design industry. Mm-hmm. Just through visualization, mostly. I, I just, I almost call myself. I, I used to call myself uh, 
just a, almost a style, a design stylist because I don't draw. Like I just, I, I know how to direct illustrators. I know how to direct photographers and get the results that I want. Yeah. Uh, so it's been pretty, uh, pretty interesting process. So what about, um, what about recently, Gene, have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that were, you were surprised by or that you really enjoyed? Uh, I don't know if I would say enjoyed because recently the process has changed so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I've been working on this new brand recently on uh, full room cannabis and, uh, the printer is out in Maine, uh, all the way like by the border of Canada. So doing a press check is you know expensive for a startup business. The Full Bloom isn't really a startup, but this is their first attempt at doing real packaging customized for them. Yeah. And uh, it's been a learning experience doing it that way with color proofs and just talking to the printer about what expectations are, as opposed to being there. So the the print representative of Penmore is the printer that we used uh, there in Maine. And, uh, you know, having conversations with them and really setting those expectations because they're be- they become your eyes and ears uh, at that point. And you have to kind of hand over a certain amount of trust that usually you wouldn't do. Yeah. And especially because now we're just like getting things for the mail seems to have slowed down. So just adjusting to those schedules and timelines has been an interesting process because mm-hmm. um, I know we'll be talking about full bloom a little bit more in that uh, in a bit, but just like figuring out what paper you can get on a, what, you know, a schedule originally that the, the brand was designed to be on craft paper. Yeah. You know, and because we just weren't going to be able to get that paper in the time that we needed, we made an adjustment and changed the design a little bit and updated it to uh, be printed on, you know, on regular photography stock. And yep, yeah, the print industry has been wild the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, like a lot of industries have been, um, but just from a sourcing standpoint and a materials availability standpoint, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 been a wild ride. <laughs> it, it almost seems it, it almost seems comical when you when you think about it because it's just like. We were thinking like, well, there are paper, there are companies that make manufacture paper, especially in Maine. <laughs> we yeah. were like, and we can't get any paper. And we're like, no, we can't get any paper. Sorry. Wow. Uh, so you're, you just have to kind of learn and adjust and just know that you should start looking at paper and printers sooner rather than later in the process 100%. these days as opposed to waiting to the last minute. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely been one of the biggest um pivots, I would say, in, in recent years and sort of the instruction to designers. Um, Gene, what was the very first print project that you were ever a part of, the first one that you ever produced? So the first one I produced, uh, probably there were two. So the first one I produced was a business card for, for a club promoter, Yeah. Um, which set me off on doing a lot of different business cards. I became like the, the club promoter business card guy for the a while. business for, card guy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they got a good deal, I think. I, I think I charged $75 and they would get the business cards included in that deal. Damn. Um, I was, you know, honestly, I was just trying to do work as much as possible. I didn't even know, I didn't even know if I could charge for that stuff. You know what I mean? Um, I thought it was just really cool that somebody was paying me to have fun. 
on my computer. Yeah. And um, it, you know, ultimately turned into a, you know, a lifetime, you know, dream of becoming a designer and then just became something, you know, now it's just, I just, I'm just super passionate about packaging, but also like t-shirt designs. I still do them for myself. I, I, you know, hat working company. This is a brand that I came up with. You know, I try to wear as much of my own stuff that I can, not for anybody else's pleasure, just because I was like, if I'm going to wear a graphic on my t-shirt, I might as well wear something that I did. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, great point. Yeah, I still have the same passion. I still have the same passion as when I was a kid. So uh, it's been really interesting to you know tap back into it. Definitely. So on that topic, and generally the answer to this next question stems or kind of comes from around those early days, but whatever you got, I'd love to hear about it. Um, have you ever been part of a print project that didn't go well, didn't turn out as you'd hoped, went sideways somehow? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, funny enough, it was another business card job. Um, <laughs> but it was it, what was funny was it was an actually a big project. It was for a company. I was at the time I was doing, working for a company uh, designing product designs and forms uh, based out of China, and we designed the business. And the owner had a vineyard. And I designed the logo for his vineyard and um, asked my cousin who was working for a printer to set me up with the printer that he, that he liked. And I went to get these business cards printed. And I noticed that they were printing these business cards and you could still see like pixelations in the logo. Huh. And I called it out because I didn't have a lot of experience with print actually being on press back then. And the printer was um, saying, no, this is the way it's supposed to look like. And uh, I was like, well, it's only like a thousand cards. By the time they print a thousand cards, it's like two minutes go by. Yeah. And you know how fast that stuff goes yeah. out. I'm like, yeah, the job's done. So I didn't really know that I had uh, the option of calling them on their, you know, what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the print, you know, we finally got the business cards and the stationery sets. And I was just so disappointed with it. And I called my cousin who was giving this printer, you know, a million dollars worth of work because he was working for one of the big ad agencies at the time. I said, guys, this is ridiculous. And then he made them reprint the job because they just told me a line of crap. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with experience, you learn that you really have to push back on the things that you don't like. If, if you don't see something, if you see something that you don't like, say something. Yeah. Because obviously you're the one in control. You're the one who's paying them the money. And I, mm-hmm. you know, if the colors aren't looking right, you know, stop the presses. The colors aren't looking right. If something's yeah. wrong and it's obvious mm-hmm. that it's being done incorrectly as opposed yeah. to the files not being set up, say something, you know, make it a point. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I think, don't be intimidated. You know, intimidation is, because the printer wants to get the job done. The printer wants to get Ultimate. the job done. And I think the vast majority of printers want, obviously, happy customers and to put out great work. But you do... I have heard stories that there are, there's, there's always these kind of people out there where there's some people who it's just about, yeah, just get it out of the way, get it done. It's, it's considered yeah. a little job to them. So they don't really care too much. It's like, whatever. Um, so you can run into that out there, but I would say that like the majority of printers are on the other side, but when you do come across a printer and your gut saying that this is not correct, we need to get to the bottom of it a hundred percent. Like, stand up and say stop this doesn't seem right let's walk through this together 
and, and I, I think also it was a little bit of um, not to blame them too much. I think they were they felt like this was like a giveaway, like they were doing a favor for somebody. Yeah, and it wasn't really a favor because they were getting paid for it, so they could have just, just looked at it as a real print project. But um, yeah. unfortunately, they didn't. But they had, you know, they they redid it and they came out great and it was beautiful yeah. the second time around. So you know, one of the things back, that I've... good pushing back, you know, after the fact is still good as long as you know that you're in the right as opposed to. Being yep, and even if at the end of the day you're in the wrong, if you're fairly new to this, like. Ask questions. Always mm -hmm. ask questions because when you're in there for a press check, I always say that's one of the best learning opportunities for a graphic designer. Whether you're new to this game or super experienced in the print world, going to a press check is, you learn so much. And just asking questions, seeing how it comes together, seeing, you know, what it looks like with each layer of ink put down, like all of these different things. It's just a great learning opportunity. Yeah, and honestly, I think, you know, what you've been doing, uh, doing those classes for production has been really great. I think, you know, they don't really teach production a lot in, in, in design schools and creative schools. I don't think they don't they teach it enough. Because I know a lot of uh, students who initially think that they're going to be designers. They go to school to be creatives, and they find that the technical side might be more interesting to them than the creative side. And, you know, there are a lot of jobs out there for the, the technical production side of the business. And it's really interesting. It's a, it's a real art in itself. And um, I would just wish that there's, there were more schools that were teaching classes or even have professional fields that were, you know, classes, programs that specifically focused in production. Yeah. Because there's a lot of learning that can be had. There's a, there's a lot there. Yeah, and really, uh, thank you for saying that. But And that is one of the reasons we put together Print Design Academy is because when a designer is going out there in the world, if, especially if they're freelance or if they're trying to do like a little bit of freelance on the side, um, you have to at least understand print and understand where it fits. Because if a client is coming to you with a design problem, it's your job to have that design solution. If you don't have, at least have an understanding of all of the available avenues to solve this design problem, you don't know that you're actually suggesting the best possible solution. Yeah. And, you know, doing a great design is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. By the time you get to that production process, you feel so great that you finally got, you might be getting something on shelf or something printed. <laughs> yes. And to just let it slide at that last moment when the, you know, this is actually one of the most important. Thirteen Pantone colors built into the file, <laughs> and a hundred layers. Right, <laughs> but also like the fact that you know you spent you know sometimes you know the big branding projects can take sometimes you know six months to a year to develop, if not mm -hmm. longer, until you get into actually getting something on press. Mm -hmm. And if you let you know if you forget about the printing part of it, the production part of it, the paper, mm -hmm. the selection, the colors. You know, you just say, okay, my design's done, my role is over. Absolutely not, because yeah. that's the most important part. Yeah. Right? One of the most, actually, you know, important parts, because if it doesn't print well, if it doesn't look good on paper, uh, you know, once it gets finished, say goodbye to that beautiful design that you thought you had, because it's going to look horrible at the end of the day. Yeah, and, what, and really what we're doing is helping designers over all of those walls that they would run into when they're creating 
a, a print project? What paper to put yeah. this on to get the best impact that matches the brand? Should this go Pantone or CMYK? Should, should I add a die cut here? What's an emboss? What's like all of these questions and things that they would run into? Um, that's that's why we're here. We're solving those problems. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Yeah. Well, if you got questions, you know how to find me, man. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Gina, I'd love to get into the deep dive on the project that I reached out to you about. And so you had posted these mock-ups for full bloom cannabis and there were some packaging mock-ups and things. Um, and I'd reached out to you and you said, yeah, this is like at the printer right now. These are some concepts that were the, the prototypes and, and mock-ups that we've got for this packaging. And I was like, let's chat about this. <laughs> let's get into this ep this um, project. So I'd love to hear, just do a deep dive on this and hear like first meeting, first concepts. What was all that about? What was the feedback? How was that? Right through to finding a printer, getting quotes and deciding specialty finishing and direction and all that kind of jazz um, and yeah, how that worked. So I'll kick it over to you. Give us the intro to the project and let's start talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, full bloom cannabis, uh, you know, let's start off with this. My goal for this year was, um, that I set for myself mm -hmm. was to, uh, do a cannabis project since I, I'm, I'm based out of New York mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, New York's just passed a lot. They'll be able to get recreational cannabis and now they've already doing it in New Jersey. I thought that'd be a great revenue stream. To kind of get new startups and do you know brands uh get some new work but mm -hmm. in order to get that work you kind of have to have that experience beforehand because what always comes into the conversation is well you've never done anything for cannabis you've never done anything for beauty mm -hmm. and like, yeah it's that, at least you know, easier, I, 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 right <laughs> it's a little bit easier because the conversation is you do learn a lot about uh a product a product's positioning if you've done at least one and just, just knowing that, you know, what information, what legal needs to go on. And there's a lot of learning that needs to be done there. Mm -hmm. So um, what was interesting is Full Bloom contacted um, Aaron Brashear, who's a production partner of mine, that I, who comes on to a couple of projects that I've been working on. Um, I've worked with Aaron before at some other design studios before uh, COVID started, and we're pretty good friends. And he got contacted through uh, LinkedIn yeah. about the possibility of helping out on doing labels. And Aaron said, well, Gene's been doing, you know, I've worked with Gene who's a designer for a little while. And he, he introduced me to the client and we both came in and pitched the work and I quickly realized this isn't just a label project because that's what they already had. Yeah. Um, this is a branding project and if you, the client was going to spend money that they should really just spend it appropriately because I could do a lot more because I was interested in doing this project for the amount of my uh, budget that he had. Um, I think you know, he wasn't even, uh, they weren't even expecting to have a budget. I don't think they knew what a budget was at that point. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, so I said, well, let's, let's rethink this. What do you really need? Um, so we updated their logo, uh, kept some of the, elements initially that they had, which was like this Leaf Man character incorporated into it. And, um, you know, designed this full bloom cannabis brand around the local culture. And what I initially started doing as opposed to sketching or anything beforehand, 
because uh, so, I didn't want to have any predetermined ideas before I jumped mm-hmm. into like, what does this community look like? Mm-hmm. And the thing that you first learn about the cannabis industry is that everything is very localized. Whatever you, they sell, they have to grow locally, uh, most, of, most of the businesses. And uh, so everything's very local, which is great. So Maine has, I started looking at Google and walking through the Google Maps as if I was walking through the neighborhood and seeing what kind of signage they had. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you learn this, like, you have this great um, architecture, like these old-style ornate graphics, and that just became part of the language of me. And we want, I wanted to kind of incorporate that into the Full Bloom branding, which was really, I, I thought, was kind of missing from the other brands that were um, currently in the main market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of everything. So I thought we had the, uh, an opportunity to really connect with the local culture being very local and just continuing that language of finding a local printer, you know, everything trying to do locally and um, as recycled as possible, you know. So we developed initially, I think, three or four different design directions. Uh, We combined two of those directions to make this brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we had some learning about how the labels looked on one of the concepts that we developed. And, um, you know, the logo we liked from this and we just kind of, kind of went back and forth on what colors, how do, how does, how do things stand out? How do we make a classic look, look more modern? So introducing like label colors and like, uh, uh, sorry, sativas and indigos and hybrids, you know, hybrids, like make those colors be a little bit more modern. So yeah. to contrast. Mm-hmm. with the kind of heritage and cultural look that we were kind of just developing for the full bloom brand. And that combination kind of just worked really well. And what was interesting, when I started doing these renders, I started, I sent the, the renders to Steve, the owner of uh, Full Bloom. Mm-hmm. And one of the renders I did was of this old truck, this old vintage truck. Yeah, I was wondering and, about uh, that. I didn't know this, but Steve... Uh, emails me back like two minutes later and he has photos of his truck and it was the same exact truck. No way. Same exact truck, except a different color, obviously. Yeah. But um, it was just really interesting that I could hear, I was like just <laughs> being able to tap in to him because there was like all these other trucks like, you know, vans, you know, whatever. It's a delivery truck. Yeah. Yeah. And just visualizing it that way and to be able to just realize that like, I was able to tap into what Steve liked without him actually showing me what his personality really was. And so we're trying to figure that out. And when I saw this photo, this rendering here, um, it immediately, and now hearing you talk about, you know, literally in Google Maps, walking through Maine and just getting a feel for, you know, the city and the vibe, and then going in this sort of like retro or vintage direction um, with some of the design because this truck gave me like prohibition vibes, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the vibes you get immediately from that style um, of vehicle, you know, somebody lugging around illegal liquor like <laughs> in the evenings, right? And so seeing how the branding direction ties in with that feel and that vibe um, really makes sense, especially for the, for the city that you're putting this together for. And that's how I uh, usually approach projects. Um, based on how they feel, yeah. how they make you feel, that emotional connection. Um, I don't really design 
just I don't do design work for the designers to appreciate it. Although it's always great to have, you know, to be appreciated by you know the, your design work for design's sake. Um, I try to get the feel to come through just by the branding, and you know, it's a really simple system that we created for him because uh, you know he he prints all the lab- he's going to be printing all the labels internally. So all the peanut squares and 10 packs and stuff, that's going to be hand applied, which is really nice because it's going to tap into back into that handcrafted uh, packaging. But also, you know, the logos, like we developed like three or four different versions of logos for him. So that, mm-hmm. for, for the brand, so they can, you know, play with, like almost play with how they position them on pack. It always doesn't always have to be this main uh, takeaway. Um, that we're seeing right now. It could be one of the other logos from the side panels. But I, it was just interesting. Like, just he, the client just let me play as much as possible and yeah. trusted me. And uh, it's literally just the logo on the pack, three or four different ways. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just been great. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's also interesting when you say the Prohibition thing. Um, I was thinking between Prohibition and Saloon. Uh, when I was yeah. creating it, so that initial branding on the front, uh, and what's he's been putting he's been uh, putting signs on the stores recently, and it just straight up looks like old Western kind of saloon That's or cool. how you visualize. So that combination, just all those different combinations of designs, uh, kind of just incorporated into this one brand has been really interesting. It's just I have I really big ideas on how to move the brand forward to its mm-hmm. next steps. But we gotta need to get this this packaging on shelf first. Yeah, and I literally today got photos that I sent you um, mm-hmm. from the printer, like an hour before um, this interview. Um, and, you know, yeah, and I want to pull. It's, I'm it's just, pull gonna, just getting really excited. Yeah, yeah. And the colors are a little bit off, but uh, because of the, the photography and the lighting, but totally. It, I'm just super excited to see it because, like, all I've been looking at is you know, white boxes for form, structure, and and the you know, and color proofs. Yeah. Yeah. So let's so. get let's get into that then. Um, I'm going to screen share just some of those photos. But could you? So it, this project starts off as, hey, it looks like a label design, and you guys are pitching a label design, and that quickly morphs into more of like a rebrand, logos, packaging, like the, a bigger picture project, which is great. Um, so now talk me through, so you go through this, this, this design process, you get approvals on these things. Now you're connecting with printers, you're, you know, you're going through this structural design process to get, make sure the packaging is the right size, the form and the function and the material is all good. Um, talk me through some of that structural proofing and then the proofing of this project. Yeah, so initially um, we thought that we were going to do like three Square boxes, mm-hmm. just different sizes, and real. And I think we, we quickly realized um, that that wasn't going to be a solution uh, for the product because sometimes you have a bottle, sometimes you have vapes, and you know, and also you have a, a legal requirement to keep um, the cannabis, uh, the THC and cannabis uh, mark at a half an inch. So doing a, a one inch box is almost out of the question because that'll take up the whole entire package and you're yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, so what we initially did was like, 
we designed everything on a square, and then we realized once we realized what the actual forms were going to be, mm-hmm. we started introducing, you know, introducing, you know, one, what does a pack look like if it, we if we put in uh, a dropper, mm-hmm. and then like we, we almost started designing accessories. So if we had a dropper, you know, a tincture bottle, you know, how does that unit hold in? And like, what if we decided to do a four pack? of vape, you know, as opposed to just doing a one pack. Well, let's just do one of a one off of these and just put one in and design the label to, you know, for one, two, three, or four, so they can be flexible on it under packaging. Mm-hmm. And as well as, we also did one that's an in, a fill for here so that we can fill like a, an inch for the packaging. So if we put, you know, food as opposed to flour, or another product that it would fit well inside yeah. the pack as opposed to just shake around and feel like we're just dropping things in. Mm-hmm. So everything was really well thought out. Um, but it, it definitely was a learning experience because initially we we're going to print everything on cardboard stock, you know, yeah. on craft, just to make it look as natural and be as natural as possible because ultimately white paper gets bleached. So that's another, you know, mm-hmm. end to the process of not being you know, eco-friendly, although mm-hmm. it's, this is recycled stock. Um, we wanted to get as close to 100% as we could, yep. uh, which is almost impossible, but we got close. Um, but it's definitely just a learning experience these days. You know, and then ultimately, I, I started looking at things like, what's the future of the packaging? Can we start, this is from Mohawk, yep. by the way. And I was like, what's the future of packaging? Can we do something that's more interactive? And you just like, you start thinking like, Sometimes packaging is just overly designed, right? Like, this is a lot of packaging for something that you're going to throw away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we design products that you can put different products in that will have their own personalities based on what he's putting in. So that's been really great. So in terms and then we started of... Oh, looking sorry, go ahead. For, then we started looking for printers, and we decided yeah. right away that we wanted to do something as local as possible, especially yeah. based on location and how deliveries are and just getting it, you know, at least we were talking about paper. We definitely wanted to find a printer that already had a kind of experience with the cannabis industry, first and foremost, because mm-hmm. dyes become a factor. Yeah. Um, and also, because a printer has experience um, w- within certain industries, they can make certain suggestions that you would normally not think about, yeah. which has been great. So pe- we, we chose uh, Penmore uh as lithography as a, as the printer to, to go with, and uh, they've been great, really good partner, and uh, you know they they keep us informed as they see things. So uh, the, they send us photos, which you know, as a designer, you take with a, a grain of salt because lighting is a factor yeah. when you when you shoot things. Yeah. And what's interesting about this pack, depending on how you how the light hits it, it looks totally different. And the colors look totally different. And you have some of those images. And there are certain things I don't like about seeing things from a photo perspective. Yeah. But also you, see, you almost see um, what, what's wrong, what, what could be wrong with it, <laughs> unless you question it. So yeah. it's just like, I'm still just really, really just can't wait to see what it actually ended up looking like. And yeah. we can talk about like, some of the finishes because, uh, because of the cost and we're, we're a factor. Mm-hmm. We ended up doing a full gloss overlay yep. on everything, yep. and a, and then we did a matte, var, matte varnish 
on everything that wasn't the logo and type. Yeah. yeah. Um, small type, sans the small type, because you can't do spot varnishes on something like that. Yeah. But to get that matte and, and gloss to fit pr properly, mm -hmm. we did a full gloss and then a matte on top of that for the background. Yeah, yeah, super common process, um, especially yeah. commonly used um, printers with like coating units, whether it's like mm -hmm. flood aqueous or flood UV or depending on which, which way they go. Um, I want to just sort of chat briefly about the form because you went through some sort of structural mock-ups and what you guys ended up doing, it sounds like, is you had two maybe, uh, or it looks like just two different exterior sized boxes, one square and one sort of taller, narrower. And then you created inserts in that would go inside those boxes, depending on the product that you were packaging in there. And then a label gets added to the packaging to sort of really differentiate and identify what the product is, what the dosage is and all that kind of jazz. Is that right? Yeah. yeah um, well, initially we thought that we were going to just have two forms. And then what we realized was that this large form was way too big for a vape yeah. cartridge that's this small. Because mm -hmm. it's just, again, like over packaging, over too much paper, Yeah. you know, just space. I don't even think space is an issue, but just the idea of opening up a box that's this big. It's yeah. like getting one of those Amazon boxes that's filled up with the bubbles <laughs> and stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. Or right? a bag of chips, so when man. End... You get a giant bag of chips and there's like <laughs> the bottom third yeah, has got yeah. chips in it. The rest is empty. So in, in actuality, um, the, in two weeks before final production printing, mm -hmm. you know, we decided to do another box just for the babes um, that, I, that you don't have renders for because I haven't uh, quite finished those yet. Yeah. But um, it's a box that's almost half this size for the day. It. So it's the same width and height so that if he were to introduce other products in, that he can uh, use the same inserts yeah. for, all, for all his boxes that are one inch wide. Awesome. But for the square boxes, we're doing food, um, like jellies, and for, um, you know, flour, so depending on how the labels and graphics are work, work for the individual product lines, they're differentiated by that and yeah. by the individual strength. So yeah. it definitely stands out and you, know, you can tell the difference no matter what product it is. It's just easy shoppability is the most important. Yeah, definitely. You know, also it's, it's always a balance too, right? Between having packaging that's form fitting and doesn't feel overpackaged, but also like you need some shelf presence. Right, because yeah. if you have this teeny tiny vape cartridge and you got a teeny tiny box for it, like you need to make up that shelf presence and get that attention on shelf in maybe a different way. So that's when you maybe you get like retailer boxes where all the little boxes are in the bigger box and it's just like, yeah, it's, and, it's a lot to figure out. And we were, and we, you know, and like I said, originally we were, we were looking at possibly doing a craft box and yeah. it wasn't going to be a dark blue background. It was just going to be primarily craft. Yeah. The same graphics um, as it is now. But, um, you know, and then once we realized we couldn't get the craft, I'm like, well, well, do we do full color printing and print faux craft? Which a lot of, you know, food packaging does yeah. do. But mm -hmm. there's something, you know, when you're trying to be real, uh, it kind of takes away from that, you know, be, you know, that authenticity. So totally. that's when we made the decision of going to dark, which was interesting is the original sketches, the original design presentation, the pack, 
the package was uh, a dark background. It was black mm-hmm. compared to this blue, but the blue is more olive as a branding system. So we, we connected it that way. So stay away from other black packs on shelves. So mm-hmm. you can totally other... a full broom takeaway. Yeah, the other benefit you get by going to this solid, darker color is that your spot matte spot, go- spot gloss gets way better contrast and is way yeah. more visually noticeable than if you had a light background and tried to achieve the same thing. So there's that benefit as well. Yeah, and one of the other things that was alarming for me on this because we, we you know, obviously we went with, uh, we, these, these are PMS colors. So we did, yeah. uh, I think, three different, three PMS colors plus a spot varnish and a spot gloss, well, an, an, an overall gloss. Um, what was interesting is trying to figure out the tone on tone in the background because mm-hmm. if you we were trying to limit the amount of colors, so instead of having a tone on tone, two different colors, we decided to tone back the PMS colors, mm-hmm. which is more difficult than it sounds to get 100%. right. Yeah. So as an example, since we're talking about printing, you know, the tone on tone here, which is easier to see. Yeah. Uh, we set up at 90% yeah. of the tone since it's prints in full color for color groups. Yeah. The tone on tone on press for a PMS on PMS to get right, we have to get it down to 80%. Yeah. So um, for consistency and visual interpret, you know, for, the, for visual interpretation, we set up the colors to be, you know, 92% because we wanted to, it to be a, even a darker takeaway. Mm-hmm. Just for a color proof match, and then so the color, the, the client, the final production files are set up to be ninety percent uh, tone back, and but with a, a call out on your on the production files that the PMS needs to be set up at 80 percent tone back, mm-hmm. so that visually, once the clients, when you're always looking at it, it, it's just you know as an example, you see a, you know the the proof in front of in front of it in front of this box right now, yeah, that contract is way up. Right, it's like because it's almost looks like light blue. Yeah, that's not the takeaway. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference when you're printing that at eighty percent and printing that at ninety percent. So, but when you go on Pantone, since it's a dark color anyway, yeah, you just kind of have to play with it. So the, that's where the printer came into play. We're like, well, we know that this needs to be at eighty percent to look right. So yeah. you kind of have to trust, have a little trust factor since I wasn't there on press. Hundred percent, and that um, that is a that comes with learning and and just doing and getting your printer to give some feedback depending on your particular situation. Pantone used to produce something called a tint guide where they would literally have in a page, you'd have like Pantone 200 at 100%. Here's 90%, 80%, 60%. It would go down the list all the way to 10%. And it was amazing because you could look at that and take your 100% swatch, match it up with an 80 in Pantone and be like, Perfect. That's exactly what we want. Yeah, you know, I, I wish Pantone. I, I, from what I understand, Pantone is trying to figure out how to work with um, design programs a little bit better these days. So, yeah, I'm hoping that they finally figure it out because, it, from a designer standpoint, if anybody ever knows, like selecting a Pantone color in you know Illustrator and setting it up and then printing something out on your printer in the office, it's gonna look wrong it oh, yeah. will yeah. at least feel like it's wrong so you always have to kind of mix your own colors and set the pantone color as a spot color yeah. by name only yeah. to match whatever 
So there's like a lot of learning that you, and this is something that you learn just from experience. Mm-hmm. So like at this point, like I know what colors are going to look like and see them like, hey, if I set them up properly, mm-hmm. um, my, which is my, one of my most important things. And then to get, but once you talk, start talking to printers and you're like, these are what my expectations are. Once we start p- pulling Canton ships, this is what the match is supposed to be. Yep. So when we're whenever we're producing, you know, hard copy proofs like you had there for the boxes, um, but you're also printing a Pantone on the project, you have to. You can use the proofs for any CMYK stuff, but if there's any Pantones also in the artwork, or the artwork is just Pantone, you usually you have to check with the Pantone guides, the yeah. so, the solid guides, or you get chips, little Pantone chips sent to you from the printer to, to really verify that. <laughs> I always keep this right on my, but what I also do is what I've been doing is I mix the color to what I feel, think is comfortable because mm-hmm. I know how color is going to look like when I find mix it in CMYK, just from experience, how much black, how much, you know, magenta is in a color. And then I just make, and I just double click on it, call it, name it a spot color. And if it ever goes to press based on that, they know that my intent is that that's going to come out as a separation. Yeah. So even if I proof it on my home printer, which is a color proofing printer, mm-hmm. um, it's going to come out right here. It's going to come out right in the proofs because they're specting a Pantone. So just getting into the habit of naming your colors properly um, is really important. Because you just see, like, you hit a, you know, depending on, you know, the lights coming from the left side. And just, like, if I was to proof something from a screen, you know, I would say, oh, this looks horrible. This looks nothing like it, but in reality, it's not as bright as this. Uh, based on you know the final printings, that green is yeah. you know feels a little brighter because it's got a hot um, a gloss over it, so it's reflecting light a little yeah. bit differently as well. So it's just really interesting, just learning how light plays and just feeling confident in the fact that you picked spot colors. They're supposed to match the spot colors, and the printer yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of a lot more trust that printers are responsible for these things. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the beauties of Pantone though is that if you have a printer in Europe and a printer on the other side of the US and you give them yeah. both the same Pantone number and you're both using the same sort of coated white paper, you should have the same result. You should get the same mm-hmm. color pretty pretty much. Um, whereas in when you're in CMYK and you printed the same project with those two printers, you could get vastly different results based on their color curves and all those other kind of factors that play into it, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's just, again, it's it's experience. Experience yeah. gets you there. So, yeah. you know, if, if I would have automatically reacted to photos, I, I looked at initially on color proofs that I've been seeing from other for printers sometimes, yeah. you know, they'll... It would just be angry emails all the time. What are you doing? <laughs> That's not what but in reality is you have to have honest conversations and yeah. just set up expectations properly. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's um it's definitely a process. So hopefully when the printer sent you those photos, they just sort of had this asterisk to them like, just so you know, we yeah. did match the Pantone colors. You will get that. However, the photos may look different, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm, I'm just fine because I literally got these photos today and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty happy, you know, with what I'm seeing. So cool. it's been, uh, it's like, it's like, it's like giving birth to a child. You know, this is the closest <laughs> I'll ever come to have giving birth is when I see it. 
the package uh, come off the press yep. and fold it up. Yeah, when you've seen it on screen and in emails and screenshots and files for so long, when you, when you finally get the opportunity to hold that yeah. thing in your hand, it's just going to be like full circle and yeah, it'll be awesome. When now, do you from, think you'll get from, them? Well, you know, from start to finish, uh, just to give you an idea of what the timeline was, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was approximately a five-month process okay. and I should be getting proofs next week. Hopefully. Awesome. Yeah, should be getting proofs next week. And um, you know, we're still working through colors on the on the label side just to mm -hmm. get everything set up and templated properly because the client has a um, label printer in the at, in the shop that yep. uh, does cutting and color printing and everything, which is great. Um, so it gives gives us a little bit of flexibility to play yeah. and uh, make make changes as we go. So we were able to get these out. As fast you know, as fast as we could, based on you know when we could, were able to get on press, and um, it's just exciting to see the whole thing come together finally. Because again, like I said, my one of my biggest goals for this year, and it came true, was to get a you know a cannabis client. And, yeah, um, it's been really great, great experience. Uh, That's awesome. especially one of the greatest clients I've worked with so far. So, so has the client seen these photos? Yeah, client's been a part of this process. Awesome. Um, from start to finish, I try to keep them, uh, looking at everything I do as I do them, keep them on a schedule and just making sure that they under, because a lot of startups don't know, like we, we had the conversation of being able to push back and that doesn't always only go for printers, uh, startups and, and clients need to know that they can push back on designers as well. And I think a lot of, uh, startups don't realize that if they're not happy with how things are, it doesn't mean that they have to fire or, uh, or change designers. It means that they just maybe aren't communicating properly or, you know, the conversation, you know, because the, the way I look at things, the way I see things, the way I hear things is very different than how other people see it, especially if they live and come from different places or, different, you know, yeah. they have different experiences. So yep. just finding a, a, a language that we, we talk, that, that we're able to, uh, you know, understand. Yeah. And just having that conversation back and forth is super important. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy about this project, and I just can't wait to see where we take it next because, you know, we're going to get into some really fun stuff soon, like some merch, and it's going to be great. But that's that's got to wait until we get these on shelf and see what that looks like. That's cool. It's going to be yeah. so. So you know what I want to do here, Gene? So because these are literally on press right now, I feel like this is almost like part one and we've got like the story and the build up, and we're they are talking proofing and this is where we're at pictures from the printer on today, literally today. Um, when you get those physical samples in your hand, I think we should jump on another call for five, 10 minutes and just chat about the, the reaction and what you think and how they turned out and, and, and all that kind of jazz. I think we should do that. And we'll add that into this episode as well. Okay. That'd be awesome. I think it might take a little bit longer cause we're yep. still working on the labels and I really, if we're going to show something, I'd like to show it all in its final form with the yeah, stickers yeah, on, sure. on them and everything. Um, and it's also weird because I can't get product sent here except for the boxes. So yeah, you know, I'm not going to be able to get like flour or vapes and things unless they're empties yeah. to like fit the form. So it's been really, you know, but I'm, you know, 
I'll definitely do that. I'll get in touch with you as soon as I get those samples yeah. the right way. And um, we'll, get, we'll get you up there. Yeah. So listeners, hang tight for because in just a few minutes when you're listening to this, we're going to be talking to Gene again and we're going to go over these uh, these boxes once he's actually holding them in his hand. Um, so Gene, to wrap up part one here, what advice would you have for a graphic designer who is brand new to the world of print, hasn't done any print, but they really want to get started? What's that first step? I think, um, you know, if you ever watched uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, and the, you, you know the ABCs of selling, always be selling. Yeah. Was that always ABC, be always be closing. Uh, always be closing, sorry. That's yeah, right. coffee's for always closers. Be cl- Always be closing. I'm more of always be designing, you know, because I think that uh, don't limit yourself to just doing what the work that people give you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to learn a lot more. If you're going to just keep experimenting, keep doing your art because it is art. It's commercial art, but it's art. And uh, don't wait, you know, don't wait for people to ask you to do something. If you're working with a creative design, design director or a creative director on a project, and you feel like you're not getting your vision across because their direction is different from, do your part on your own time. And yeah. then it should bring that into the presentation. Don't be afraid to tr- take chances. Mm-hmm. Throw things up on a wall that you feel uncomfortable about. Don't be afraid about asking questions. Always ask questions, especially stupid questions. I ask stupid questions all the time. I actually warn companies that I ask stupid questions before a meeting so that just that they know that half my questions will ultimately sound stupid. But I get a lot of learning from that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you just don't know. You just throw things up on a wall and you just keep asking things until you figure out what the, you know, the truth of the thing is. So, you know, there's a lot of learning. You know, somebody just looks at you like, oh, of course it's going to be uh, sans serif type thing. <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, like, does it have to be? Can we try something else? Because... It doesn't always have to be black. It doesn't always yeah. have to look. It doesn't have to be bigger. Let's yeah. try to figure out, you know, what the right answer is, particularly for each individual brand. So I would just say just keep pushing yourself and don't limit yourself to what other people think yeah. or say or do. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do it your own way. This is like what I've been trying to do is um, I think other people should be doing more, more, more often as well. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like I get a little emotional about it because uh, I take it so serious. Yeah, and you should. It's a good, I love that approach. So let's wrap this up with where can people find you, find your work, um, connect with you and on social media and all that jazz? Sure. Um, you can always Google Gene Portnoy if you want, and you'll probably all pop up. Uh, but workingcompany.com, work and company, all spelled out, or workandco.com. Uh, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as, uh, again, I think just type in Gene Portnoy and you'll find me. Or working company there as well. Awesome. And, and uh, I will put uh, links in the description of this episode that go directly to your Instagram, to your website, um, and all that jazz as well. Awesome. I appreciate that. Like, listen, uh, I, I just want to do, you know, do good work and help startups as much as possible, which has mm-hmm. been, you know, really interesting these days, so. Interesting is a great way to put it for sure. (laughs) Okay. Hey, it's me again. This episode is not over, but I wanted to chime in right now. This is the part where we have transitioned to part two 
of this conversation. This is where now this next part you're about to listen to is where Gene has got physical samples with him. He's got a customer's got some product out in retail and we just dive into it. How'd it go? What'd you think? All of that kind of jazz. So let's get into part two. Gene, welcome to part two of the Print Design Podcast. Good to see you again. I'm glad to be back. It seems like it was just yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it in the way this goes, right? Um, So the last time we left off, you had literally that day received photos from the printer. This box was at the printer um, and they sent you some photos and of what it was looking like as sheets, like flat sheets. And like a few days after that, you received your first sort of samples of the actual finished product. So, I mean, the first overall question is when that box arrives to you, what are you feeling? What's the emotions? Are you excited? Are you terrified? Is it all of the above? Yeah, it, it, um, it's always exciting to see a new package come along, especially if you're not actually at the print shop and watching, you know, watching mm-hmm. it print and making sure the colors come out right and everything's aligned perfectly and, yeah. you know, test out the box there. That way you don't get, you know, you get the final. But since uh, this package was printed in uh, Maine, um, I wasn't able to make the print run. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was super excited because also my production guy, Aaron uh, Brashear, who was also waiting for the same delivery. Um, we were just texting each other, who's going to get it first? Um, and I got it. I got mine first. And I nice. I got it. Started putting the boxes together. And this, I think, is probably reversed in the camera. But you know, what, what, what I'm still missing is the labels, which is which are printed internally on the client side. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, a custom, a, a small print, a professional printer that he does labels on in house. That also yeah. does cutting and printing and everything there. So they still have to do a hand process. But uh, here's what the packs look like. And uh, what's great is a lot of the stores have been putting it up and they've been putting them on their shelves and asking to get more product because yes. of how, you know, it waterfalls on shelf because it starts making with, you know, depending on how you set these things up. Mm-hmm. It starts looking like like one of those vintage old ad walls, <laughs> nice. you know, with all like all the different logos. So you can basically, sorry, you can basically start that, laying things out in different combinations. That's cool. So was that part of your intention of the design, yeah. or is that just like a happy accident? Yeah, absolutely. That's part of my thinking is always how do you tell the story in the in the broader scale, uh, scale of things. Um, if yeah. you've ever gone to a cannabis shop. They don't really have a lot of product on shelf mm-hmm. uh, displayed. So being able to use the packaging as a billboarding tool, not yeah. just the front panels, but the side panels as well. So there's mm-hmm. some um, other ways of organizing. And the client actually uh, informed me that because of how well it billboards, they're now uh, some of the stores are starting to do like these pop-up areas in their store of just full bloom branding, which has been That's really cool. And then, and that they're getting more sales and the client has already uh, two weeks after receiving um, the initial boxes, he's already done a reorder. Wow. Yeah. And that's crazy because the initial packaging was a 10,000 10, unit order for, yeah. I mean, that should have lasted him a while and he was already running that running out in the first two. Wow. That's amazing. And this that's just goes, yeah, that just goes to say, like this, when you do a rebrand or a new packaging style or you know new design for clients, like that's the kind of impact it can have. 
it can transform a business. And I just, it's, it's, it's exciting to see because now he can actually see uh, uh, the difference in how much product he's been selling previously mm-hmm. and see the, a huge difference now because of all the extra reorders that he's getting. And yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. And the, his, his client, he has a couple of stores as well, his own mm-hmm. stores um, in Maine and uh, the response from his um, clients has, has been really great. So they, they've, they've been really loving the package. So it's been, you know, I'm, I'm really happy because he's really happy. So I'm, yeah. I'm still excited when I see these because, you know, even taking photos of these things don't give them justice because mm-hmm. if there's a matte finish with some gloss areas. Yeah. And um, it's, it really feels high end at the end of the day. I could even so. pick out that matte gloss contrast even through this like low res webcam feed yeah. back and forth. Like I can still pick that out. Yeah, we just did the gloss um, on the logo areas and then kept yeah. everything matte so that um, the only parts that are really activated are the gloss because of the extra mm-hmm. labels. And you can, you know, share the the renders that I had in some of the, the upgraded packaging. You'll see what the, those labels look like. Yeah. Um, they really do start standing out because some of them are in color and we wanted to activate the logo to, to contrast that as much as possible. Man, that's so cool. Okay, so you received them. You were stoked. You loved how they looked. Client clearly was happy with how they looked because this business is booming because of new packaging and getting new shelf attention. Did you guys create any sort of like shelf guidelines for retail stores as to like, here's how we would suggest you display these or anything like that? You know, um, that's something that we're planning on doing as a company, as far as working company for the client. Uh, It's not something that the clients asked for. Uh, They're, they're very new to the whole marketing branding uh, scheme of, you know, they've never really kind of, they just usually hired maybe a designer off of Fiverr or something Mm -hmm. to help them out. Um, So knowing that helping them build their business and helping them with some of those things, we're willing to do some of those elements like a brand manual and some guidelines for them uh, just so that the the, pro- the brand is displayed in its optimal form. So that's something that we're planning on doing since it mm-hmm. wasn't ordered by the client. You know, it's something that when we have time to do it, we'll, you know, we're going to be working on that as a, you know, a project for ourselves. Yeah. And that's a huge value add for companies like yours that have that caliber of design and industry understanding um, in how to not only design and create these things, but also the optimal way to market them, the optimal way to ensure brand consistency across not just packaging touch points and printed touch points, but online touch points and all of these different elements. Um, when you're going to, like you said, Fiverr, and you're just ordering, hey, design me a box, like that's yeah. all you get. Yeah, I think my, my main goal is because, you know, working company is still a work in progress, per se. Um, mm-hmm. Still trying to figure out as, if it's a, uh, a collective of creatives just working on projects together, or whether it's actually turning into a studio and a, and a business on its own. Because, you know, right now I'm still 50 50, uh, 50% doing design work for design studios and 50% now managing clients. Mm-hmm. Focusing on hopefully next year doing it 70, 30, and then finally turning it over, hopefully, you know, maybe sooner to 100% handling uh, clients directly as opposed to doing uh, design studio freelance work. Cool. Um, but part of what I, my initial thoughts as far, as far as how I interact with my clients is 
or working company clients as a whole is I'm an employee of working company. Yeah. I am not, yes, I'm the founder, but I'm founder in name by itself. It's everybody as a team, uh, professionals have been doing it for years. Uh, mm-hmm. the people I work with have been doing it 15, 20 years. Um, yeah. They need to, you know, they take ownership of the brands as well, uh, as, whether it's production. And it's important to me to be, um, I guess the best way of explaining it is a partner with the client. So I'm the client partner and I make sure that the rest of my team uh, delivers on the level that I think is appropriate. So I represent the client. Not on, I'm not only the designer, but I'm always also his rep internally. Nice. Yeah, so you have that accountability to to the brand and the result at the end of the day. Yeah, because I don't think um, being in this studio or trying to get a new, finally, you know, putting my name out there. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of you know, designers who usually only work full time or just freelance has always been working in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really important just to make sure that anything that you put the working company name on or even put my name on uh, is at the level that I set for myself, which is right now is as high as I can make it. Yeah. Um, whether it's no matter if the budget's low, I'm still putting 100, you know, 110 percent, 200 percent, whatever I can do to make the project better. I'll put those hours and make sure it happens. Yeah, because the result is really not only what sets um, you up for massive success in the future, because that word gets around, the results get around, um, and that's all a positive thing. But it um, it, it just is fulfilling. Yeah, it's the most fulfilling thing I've been I've done in a long time. It's really regenerated um, the way I approach design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the things I think we've discussed this you know earlier in the interview uh, is that a lot of times design firms, yes, they have a lot of people working on projects, but they're also limited on time as how much time that each individual person can designate to those projects. Uh, being the had, being a, cre- a creative and run, uh, managing the clients at the same time uh, gives me the opportunity of just knowing exactly how many hours the project actually needs compared to. Now, I'm, I'm not really looking at budgets as the framework mm-hmm. of how much, how many hours. So I'm not looking at hours at all. It's literally um, what the project needs to get done the right way. And that's the only thing I'm interested yeah. in doing. So I turn a lot, I, I've been turning around down a lot of projects, uh, because either they don't have, the client doesn't have enough time to get the project done correctly. And I'm not willing to what, whether I can or can't bang a project out quickly. I'm not yeah. willing to take that chance and, um, not help them achieve the goals. Cause even if they have a small budget, whether the budget's like $5,000 compared to a $30,000 budget, I don't want them throwing, being a part of throwing them, throwing away a $5,000 budget and not giving them exactly what their need, what I think yeah. their needs are. Yeah. So the solutions is, our, is the name of the game, I think. 100%. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you completely there. So the first run, 10,000 units of sort of each skew or um, client gets it, packaging it up, two weeks later goes, Oh man, we are moving product. We need to place a reorder. Did you see anything on the packaging that you wanted to tweak or adjust before sending it in, or was it a straight reprint of what you had? Uh, there, there's one thing that I would adjust, but that's from my own personal. Uh, <laughs> being the designer, I'm the one who sees it. 
Uh, it's yeah. not something that's graphics oriented. It's how the uh, the die line was set up yeah. on one of the boxes. Um, we will. I am planning to adjust, make an adjustment, but because the client is reordering so quickly, we don't want to throw other files into the mix yeah. until they're they're in a because it's not affecting sales and it's not really not affecting the client in any way. Yeah, they're super happy with where the, the packaging is and how the brand came out. This mm -hmm. is something that I want to fix for my own personal sake. Yeah. Um, so as soon as I get the, the okay to do it, because I was going to do it on the quiet tip and just, you know, send updated uh, template files to the printer and just have yeah. them replace it. Uh, and I realized, you know, that's not how business is run. <laughs> I have to actually... <laughs> as much as you want to see that adjusted. You know, I'm not charging them to do it. I just make sure that the client approves and know that that's happening. Yeah. So there's no surprise on there. Yeah, so. exactly. Totally. Man, that's awesome. You know, it's so exciting to hear when you, you know, you as a designer receive something that you designed and put out there that's printed on paper and you're super stoked about it. And then even more exciting to hear that the client is so, so thrilled with it and their sales are up and everybody's happy with the packaging. Like, man, that just, it just makes me smile. It's just awesome. Oh, the client's, I mean, the client's not even, a, he's not a designer and he started, um, ordering, like setting up uh, T-shirts and sweatshirts and hats, which, you know, he's got all the logos and versions of the logos. Yeah. And he was sending me, like, different color setups because the way I set it up, the, the identity, he can play with the colors a little bit if he wants to, to be more playful, um, depending on, you know, if somebody wants, you know, a purple sweatshirt, you know, gray on, a pur on purple might not look great. So just give yeah. them some flexibility. But now he's sharing his creative process with me and I'm giving them feedback and that's happening on one-on-one -on, -one on, you know, he's just texting me things and I'm like, Oh, awesome. Have you, and then I'd open up the file and I'm like, have you tried this color combo? Cause it's not a, you know, an actual project for me. It's continuation of how is this brand going to evolve after my hands aren't on it. And yeah. initially I, I even, you know, the client had no experience with Illustrator or anything, and he started playing with the idea. I was like, oh, I might get Illustrator just so I can make certain adjustments or certain setups for myself. So I, you know, the client and I, for full bloom, we, you know, we set up a meeting for one for an hour, and I walked him through the basics of Adobe Illustrator okay. with his files so he knows how to function and how to import and export and save things out. Um, just, you know, the, the bare minimum and just recommended that he take some of those classes online for yeah. Adobe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's just the nature of being a small startup right now as a studio is that I do have the flexibility. Luckily, still have the flexibility of doing it personally one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. as opposed to giving it to somebody else to do. Yeah, 100%. Just good service. Yeah. And, you know, at this point in my, you know, in my life, I'm just going to, be happy with enjoying this, the design process as much as possible. You know, because mm -hmm. I've been through this 20 plus years of doing it, and uh, it's not always a fun process. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, there's, there's all this, sometimes there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and you know, you know, and, you know sometimes big heads get in the way, yeah. uh, mine included. Uh, so it's been really great just to help. It, get back to meeting with clients, talking with clients, presenting to clients, which I haven't done in a long time mm -hmm. and cold calling and pitching. And, you know, and my goal is literally what I is to help. And after I help, 
I'm overly like my 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 biggest comment to when the client starts posting images and you know of the work or is that yeah. you know just thank you for trusting me with your brand because it's it's their baby but yeah. now we're kind of co-parenting in a, in a way because <laughs> that's such a great you know, the brand I'm emotionally connected to the brands I design yeah. Man, that's so yeah. true. I want to let you if you had seen the packaging. You know, things happen, you know, and they're continuing. You know, that, that line keeps growing. Like, you know, everything can, keeps continuing. Like, I, I, I met with a dumpling, my dumpling client, the, the good dumpling client uh, packaging. Sorry, the, the good dumpling company yesterday at their new factory. And what's interesting, I was like, you know, I wouldn't have gotten full, probably wouldn't have gotten the full bloom work if it wasn't for the good dumpling company's brand work uh so because that style is kind of uh what i've been kind of focusing on doing like yeah. a combination of historic branding uh using a historic vernacular and com combining uh, mo some modern touch points with it yeah. modernizing it a little bit so kind of developing a little bit of a look i guess yeah there you're, you're like your your company look what you're gonna sort of become known for out there that's awesome uh, a little bit of the style, maybe more of the thinking is more important to me than the look and feel. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I have, I have, I'm starting to develop a way of thinking it and looking at things a little bit differently. Yeah. Which has been, and, I guess, my forever, yeah. Gene, I feel like I've been part of this process from like, you know, yeah, I feel like because you didn't have the finished product, it wasn't, it wasn't like a fully wrapped project when we first spoke. Um, you know, I feel like I got like the front story and then I was sitting on the edge the same as you, like, what are these prints going to look like? You know, so it's awesome to come full circle with this right now. So I thank you for, you know, hopping on and being patient with me on this uh, part two, because I really wanted to get the feedback on, hey, what, what did the boxes look like? How did you feel about them? And what did the client think? And what has it done for their business? And you ticked all those boxes here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, get more, you know, images of stores, setting them up, you know, yeah. you know and, and, and hearing how, uh, you know, the clients are, you know, are, are growing with the brand because mm -hmm. obviously I'm not going to be a part of every piece of their marketing story. Uh, but, you know, as, as things grow, hopefully, you know, they'll come back and do another brand, another vendors, you know, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's an exciting time for me so, and working company. I guess. That's exciting. Okay, y'all know that was the end of part two. So what a cool experience sort of getting the before, like as things are happening in production live and then getting kind of that wrap up bit where, you know, what did the, what did you think of the samples? What's the customer's return on this kind of thing? So love being able to share that kind of info. Thank you so much for listening today. Again, if you're ready to start learning print and packaging, check out the links in this description of the podcast here. Check out the Print Design Summit. That's printdesignsummit.com. And uh, definitely go check out Gene's work over at Work and Company. And you can find him on LinkedIn. He's pretty active on LinkedIn as well if you're uh, a LinkedIn kind of person, which I am. I dabble in the LinkedIn. Uh, and that's Gene Portnoy um, on LinkedIn. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week.